0: You've seen the big plays. Darren stepping to his right, looking, looking, stopping, firing, end zone, touchdown! You've heard what the playmakers and coaches have had to say. Up for a three,
1: got it! But now it's time to go behind the mic with BYU sports broadcasters to get their distinctive take on the games.
0: Oh, what an aggressive play! This is Behind the Mic with host Cleon Wall. I will readily admit I've never been a soccer guy. I played when I was young. I didn't get into it then, and I had a hard time getting into it when I was older. But today I learn a thing or two about soccer from former Cougar Rachel Jorgensen, who is the analyst for the BYU women's soccer team on the BYU Sports Network. She shares her journey to Provo and eventually into the broadcast booth. First, BYU football is 1-0 after a win against South Florida. BYU Sports Network analyst Riley Nelson Watch that game after waiting out a very lengthy weather delay. We discuss why Jaron Hall is the man right now, why Puka Nakua is so fly-on-the-fly sweep, and if Baylor offensive coordinator Jeff Grimes has changed his offense since leaving Provo. But first, how Nelson ended up with that sweet gig as an analyst after his playing days at BYU.
1: I work for a company called GBS. We are a Levitt Group company, uh, if, if uh, that Levitt Group uh, sounds familiar. That's an insurance, it's a large insurance agency and it is the family of the former governor. Um, my company that's under their family of companies, GBS, specializes in what's called employee benefits insurance. So largely what we do is companies hire us to help them manage uh, all the costs associated with the healthcare plans that they offer to their employees and then any other associated benefits. So. Um, you know, they might offer a dental insurance or a life and disability insurance or a 401k or things like that. So uh, my role at the company is uh, out there looking for uh, more clients to, to provide our services to and to uh, hopefully, you know, save them some money and help them run their businesses more efficiently.
0: You also ended up with this sweet gig as the color commentator uh, for BYU football here on the BYU uh, Sports Network. How did you end up with that job? Because Mark Lines was the longtime color commentator for radio from the 70s all the way up into just a few years ago. How did you end up uh, getting this sweet gig?
1: Yeah, as, uh, I, you know, I don't think any job does, even the even the big TV jobs. Well, maybe some of the biggest one, like the Kirk Kerb streets, but definitely us on radio. It's not enough for your full time gig. So, yeah, and thank you for pointing out that the radio. While I wish it were, uh, I wish it could be my only job. Uh, the twelve games in the fall, or thirteen if you had a bowl game, aren't enough to feed uh, all the mouths in my in my household. So I just do that as a, as a fun little side gig. And uh, really how it came about was I just, I mean, I I knew that Mark had been doing it for a long, long time. And uh, and so a little bit of background, my grandpa, Rod Tuler, who was a basketball, he was the head basketball coach at Utah State uh, for in the 80s and early 90s. And then after that was uh, the athletic director before getting called on his mission, came back from his mission and uh, to stay involved in athletics was the radio color guy for Utah State basketball for years. And as I was growing up, I'd go on, you know, trips with, with grandpa to go call the games in Boise. And of course he was there every, you know, most of the games were Thursday and Saturday nights in, in the D Glenn Smith spectrum up there in Logan that I went all grown up. So I was able to watch my grandpa do that and including get, uh, you know, kind of father times undefeated, as we like to say in athletics, the same goes true for broadcasting that the, the demand of uh, of games every week and having to travel to certain games. And for him, it was, you know, the conference tournament and all of that starts to wear on you as, as you get older. And so I, I had no insider knowledge. I just knew Mark had been doing it for a long time and that father time was on a feed. So I just started dropping hints th- here and there, you know, whenever I'd see uh, Greg, you know, at, at events, cause I was a very active alumni I'd be, I'd be around a lot. And whenever I'd bump into people, I'd say, Hey, whenever Mark, uh, Whenever Mark hangs it up, I'd love to throw my hat in the ring. And uh, I don't know who all else was considered or, or who their first choices was. You know, I, I don't know if it was me, but uh, needless to say, I was the one that was able to secure the job four years ago. And it's been an absolute uh, treat for me to be able to participate and do the radio broadcast alongside Greg.
0: Did you have a tryout at all? And was there any aspect of football that's that's kind of been helping you out in your broadcasting?
1: I did. Uh, I did. I had been doing a lot of stuff. So, so Ben Criddle, uh, of course, another uh, BYU alum that has a radio show on, on 960 AM. Uh, I co-hosted with him. There were even some times where he was out and I just substitute uh, hosted his show. Of course, uh, the local you know radio shows uh, are always trying to find former and current players to to help them fill you know their daily a lot of them are three-hour shows and when you learn about radio that's uh if you're going to put on a quality program you can't just wing that right as a host you have to bring on good guests so I was active as far as being a guest on on a, a bunch of different radio shows I got some hosting experience with with Ben that gave me kind of uh, some insight into, you know, ad reads and managing segments within breaks. And and obviously a live game isn't as structured as that, but there's still some of that. But I did put together a reel, some hosting that I did, some interviews that I had done recently, and I did provide that to Greg. I don't know if he listened to it or not, or if he just went off, uh, you know, the relationship that we had built over my time there as a player and since. Um, but, I, yeah, I did put together an audition tape. There was no live audition. And then you mentioned the aspect of football. Obviously, as a quarterback. Uh, the quarterbacks probably responsible for more for for having knowledge about the assignments of more players than anybody else right uh, a wide receiver for the large part just has to worry about his route he doesn't have to know necessarily the protection that's going to keep the defense away from the quarterback so that he can deliver the ball to him on that route right so uh, most quarterbacks that, that do their job and take pride in their job are film junkies and so one of the things that's been able to help uh, has been, the All the film that I did as a player, I still get to do now. BYU is able to provide me with an iPad and I, I get the cut-ups from the opponent's practice and even some stuff that BYU is doing so I can get a feel for stuff that they might run. And It helps me be able to be a little bit more prepared going into Saturday rather than seeing things for the first time.
0: I did talk to Blaine Fowler a lot about quarterbacks last week. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about that. I actually want to talk about Jaron Hall just really quickly it seems like no matter who's available to him or who's playing with him, he's able to play within that structure and get everyone involved. Is his greatest asset right now his leadership, Riley?
1: Yes, and I would couple that with his decision-making. Um, and those two things kind of feed off each other. He's a leader in that he's able to rally the troops, and then he goes out and makes the right decisions where he never puts the troops or the team in jeopardy. He, he is a great and it was this was something that I admire him because it was something that I struggled to do. I always believe that no matter how dire the circumstances, right? Three defensive linemen have the linemen have their hands on me or dragging me towards the ground, I still think that I can spin my way out of it and huck the ball down the field and Cody Hoffman's going to be down there to you know rescue us, right? And that that uh, it, it was great at the time, it made for some great highlights and memorable moments, but it also Uh, led to some unnecessary turnovers and put the team uh, put the teams that I played on in some tough spots over the years. So, um, yeah, his his leadership and he's just he is so just consistent. He is so, you know, exactly what you're going to get from Jaron. And then that is also how he plays, as I've mentioned, with his decision making. And then a couple of that. So those two being the foundation upon which he's a he's a tremendous athlete with uh, tremendous skills. And BYU is lucky to have him at the head of their program at this juncture.
0: I I now want to focus on Puka Nakua's two uh, touchdowns—the fly sweep touchdowns. Jaron Hall, hands off to Puka Nakua on fly sweep, and Puka Nakua's got a first down and more. Puka Nakua, may go all the way the thirty. Why are they so successful? I guess when I think fly sweep, a lot of times I think of the maybe your smaller wide receiver and you hand it to him as he's coming around and he's jetting up the field as as quickly as possible. And I look at Nakua, and I'm not saying he's not fast. I'm just saying he's a six foot two guy, maybe a little bit easier to tackle. Why, why is he at least in those two plays, why was he so successful in being able to turn that ball up the field and, you know, in one instance, gain 75 yards and touchdown another, you know, get up the field, break some tackles and get into the end zone.
1: Well, one ever since, you know, he was prepping uh, in Utah and in high school, he, It almost, I mean, as great as his route running was, he was almost better after he had the ball in his hands. Um, So that's one of his innate abilities. And then second to that is you have to credit, whether it was Fessy Satake or uh, Aaron Roderick, you have to credit them with putting the right call against the right defense. And I got to imagine they would have had audibles against that. But like that first play of the game, they caught him in uh, man blitz, which meant that all Puka had, well, first of all, it meant that everybody had to get, had to block their guy. But then as far as Puka was concerned, he had to beat one safety and by, and that safety, or he had to beat one defensive player and that player was the safety and it was seven yards down the field. So Puka already had those long legs churning um, to, to gain ahead of steam and outrun the guy uh, all the way to pay dirt. So it was, uh, I, of course, that's why football, in my opinion, is the greatest game ever played is because it's an orchestra of all different parts from the coaches to the players and, of course, the guy carrying the ball deserves and gets a bunch of credit. But uh, there are plenty of things, uh, starting with the call coming down from the press box, leading to plays like that.
0: Are the fly sweeps also a case of just getting the ball to your most talented player? Or one of the most it talented is, players?
1: Yeah, the, the main things uh, about the fly sweep are you want to get the ball to your f- player. You want to catch the uh, defense off guard. It's a quick-hitting play that um, uh, it's a quick hitting play that if if you hit it right, your guys you know, like we saw with Pookie's going to have one man to beat and then be off to the races. Brooks
0: to the secondary Chris Brooks, maybe gone he is 30, 20, 10 welcome to BYU Christopher Brooks Christopher Brooks 13 rushes 135 yards rushing 52 of those yards on his first TD as a Cougar he also had a 40 yard run what did you see in those big two runs that made him successful is it is it him good old line play good vision why was he so successful not only in those big plays but actually just his first game as a Cougar too
1: Yeah, I think uh, he knew – so Chris is a great kid, and he's not bashful about the fact that when he was looking for opportunities to play for his fifth year, uh, he wanted to go somewhere that – where the run game was well-established, where they had the big dudes up front who were really capable of of paving the road for him. Um, And and so I think, first of all, he chose wisely. That was the first best thing that he did. And then what he demonstrated on Saturday – for me, it's a little bit of a small sample size. I mean, I'll tell you this. Obviously, by when you look at the roster and he's listed at 238, you know he's a big, strong back. He definitely proved that. Uh, they did run more power scheme runs with him than they ran uh, last year with Algier. He was more of a wide zone scheme. So you know that uh, Chris is going to be a great downhill runner uh, for BYU and use that size and use that power that he had And then what he showed on his, you know, 50-plus yard or his big, long touchdown run, uh, those were DBs and, you know, those were safeties and quarterbacks chasing after him, and none of them were able to catch him uh, on on a big, long 50-plus yard run. So he shows that once into the open field, he's got it there. The one thing – so the complete package with the ball under his arm, the one aspect of his game where we didn't really get him involved, and, of course, you've got Lopini Katoa and others who get involved in this aspect was catching the ball out of the backfield. But uh, you know, watching him do that throughout camp, there's no deficiencies there. I think Cougar Nation should, uh, you know, not be bashful about getting excited about what Chris Brooks can do uh, the rest of the season.
0: But also possibly a, a tougher test this week when they play play Baylor. Baylor really kind of bottled BYU's rushing game attack last year.
1: Yeah, uh, Dave Aranda is very familiar. You know, he goes all the way back to playing against BYU when he was at Utah. He was on the staff at Utah State. And then uh, has, has uh, bumped into BYU over the years. He was at Wisconsin when they went and played up there. Um, and, uh, and then more recently, that, that ugly game against LSU a, a few years ago. Um, but uh, so Aranda's is very familiar with BYU. Of course, there's been some different offensive coordinators that he's faced there. But he gets his guys ready to play. One of the core tenets of his defense is effort. And then he's not bashful. He, uh, last year... And we'll see if they come out with the same strategy this year. But last year, Baylor felt very comfortable in their ability to cover Baylor. Sorry, Baylor felt very comfortable in their ability to cover BYU's wide receivers man-to-man, which allowed them to contribute an extra player, an extra run defender to the box, which, of course, made it easier for them uh, to kind of stymie the run. Uh, That on top of the fact that, you know, maybe compared to a South Florida, it's a little bit better matchup athlete-on-athlete, but – uh just as Baylor, you know, is returning a lot of guys, BYU is returning a lot of guys. They're one year wiser, one year stronger, one year better. And BYU, of course, gets Baylor in their hometown, whereas, uh, you know, BYU headed down to Waco uh, playing a day game in Texas. Uh, they got to come up to the high mountain air of Provo and deal with Cougar Nation uh, on a late night home opener, which is a tough task for anybody.
0: And, and speaking of Baylor, I wanted to talk about Jeff Grimes. He's the former Offensive line coach at BYU, offensive coordinator at BYU. Now he's the offensive coordinator at Baylor. What type of offense does does he run, and has it hasn't really changed much since he left BYU?
1: Coach Grimes' offense has uh, stayed largely the same since his time as BYU. Of course, there's going to be some tweets here and there. He's excited about his quarterback that he's bringing into Provo. Uh, not that Bo Bohannon- Who faced BYU last year was in any way deficient, but I think their new guy—he feels like their new guy uh, brings some other elements, can maybe push the ball down the field a little bit more, and maybe contribute a little bit more in the run game. But none of that's—you're not—they're not going to come in with a different identity. Their identity is protect the football at all costs, which means you know don't put the ball on the ground in the run game, make good decisions in the pass game, Uh, have success through drives, meaning they're not going to look for quick hits or big play or rely on the big play. Uh, They're going to methodically, they're going to possess the ball. They're going to march the ball down the field, put an emphasis on being good on third down, put an emphasis on being good in the red zone, You know, converting uh, those opportunities in the red zone into into touchdowns. And uh, so it's not going to be something super sexy. It's not going to be high flying, uh, but it it sure is effective. And they're going to execute well. They're not going to have self-defeating plays.
0: Is the defense more prepared this time around because – it's the second game of the season, and they're healthy, and they know what to expect from Baylor.
1: I do think this game on Saturday will come down to BYU's defensive performance. I think last year they were good, not great. Obviously, they gave up 30-plus points, and so they're going to be say they were disappointed, but Baylor was a good team, and you were playing on their home, home field. Uh, but I think for in order for BYU to beat Baylor, who is a top-10 team uh, by all the polls, they are going to need to um, just be more than good. The, the defense is going to need to do something, whether that's turning the ball over deep in their territory or coming up with a defensive score. Something like that is going to happen, and if it does, it's going to need to happen to you know give you a high level of confidence that BYU is going to be able to uh, upset top ten Baylor in their home opener on Saturday night.
0: That's Riley Nelson. We'll have him on again as the football season progresses. Coming up next, Rachel Jorgensen does just about everything for the BYU women's soccer program, and that includes analyzing games. This is Behind the Mic on BYU Radio. Welcome back to Behind the Mic. I'm Cleon Wall. BYU Sports Network soccer analyst Rachel Jorgensen always wanted to play soccer for BYU, and she did as a midfielder from 2010 to 2013. Then she never left. She ended up as a volunteer assistant on the Cougars. Now she's truly the heart of the team.
2: The, I think that the hope for me was that it would eventually turn into kind of a paid position. And so it took a couple years because the, the staff was limited with how many people they could have, um, on the staff and it just kind of worked out where there was an opening um, for the position that I'm in now and I just kind of slid into it and it just worked out where I eventually got paid for it and so this is kind of like my full-time situation with so work.
0: What's your full-time job? What What's the official title? Uh, uh, that? Ra- what's Rachel Jorgensen's official title?
2: Yeah, I'm technically an administrative assistant for the uh, BYU women's soccer team.
0: So, what does that mean? You do everything they tell you to do. Pretty,
2: no, <laughs> no it, it pretty much is. Like, I just kind of am there doing the day to day operations for the program.
0: Okay. Okay. And I don't think it's part of the job, but you're also the analyst for BYU soccer on the BYU Sports Network on radio. How did you get that gig?
2: <laughs> that I feel like that was kind of years in the making. So, part of what my job was was in previous years is I would um, film the soccer games. So at home and on the road, it was my job to film the games for the coaching staff, so we could do analytics, you know, after the game. And the staff actually, bought into this video system called Spideo, which we had installed on our soccer field. And it's kind of like going across, you know, programs across the country, too. So a lot of programs now have video systems at their field. And so when we installed our Spideo video system at our home field, it kind of left me open to either help on the sidelines with the staff or to be picked up to help with radio. And I think Greg just kind of jumped at the chance to have me help out And that's kind of how it worked out is as soon as our video system was installed, it left me open to, you know, be available at home games. And so Greg, you know, asked if I wanted to do the color commentary with him.
0: What was that first broadcast like for you?
2: Um, I think it was I was for sure nervous for the broadcast. I mean, I'd been around the program for years and I was familiar with, you know, how the radio worked because I would listen to Greg do the games. But I was still nervous having it be like my first time on air. Um, and I think just slowly, I've gotten more comfortable as the games have gone on.
0: How, how is it that you know when to actually chime in? I mean, when do, do you do you feel like okay, here's the part where I'm just like, okay, I need to just hurry and say something. Well, and what is it that you look for when you're watching the matches now and actually commenting on them compared mm-hmm. to just watching them and cheering or watching them and coaching?
2: Yeah, a lot of times Greg will kind of um, bring my name into the conversation, so he'll he'll kind of you know, discuss something that he's seeing and he'll kind of mention my name kind of as a hint or like a segue, like, hey, Rach, this is your, your time to kind of chime in a little bit. Um, so a lot of times I'll look for cues from Greg or if there's some gaps in some spacing. You know, there's, there's certainly times when I know that he's doing the play-by-play of it and I need to, you know, pick and choose my times, especially when there's, there's space for me to discuss things like, you know, if our if our team is attacking and they're going towards the goal, like I know I want to wait until, you know, it goes out the end line or there's a throw in or a corner kick or, or something where there's, you know, a, a, a minute or two where there's some space for me to be able to chime in. Um, but also just um, what I'm seeing out there. I try to treat it kind of like as a conversation that I would be having with fans if somebody was was there listening. It, it's just kind of like what I'm seeing out on the field and my thoughts on it i guess
0: i i will tell you that uh, my knowledge about soccer is very low i'm not a huge soccer fan i will i will readily admit to that i'm 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 learning as i'm going along so treat me like i know nothing okay rachel okay. yeah all right let's start out with a general question in your mind what makes this current iteration of the cougar soccer team special
2: We're coming off of a historic year, first of all. I mean, we went to the national championship last year. It was a heartbreaking loss in the championship. We graduated a good number of seniors, but I also think that this program has a ton of just experience. That's one of the, the outlying kind of factors that we have is the experience from, I guess, just everything that they went through last year. I mean, to to go from playing in a national championship to losing some seniors and kind of finding your identity again. I think that's just one of the outlying thing is just the experience from the program and from the players and just how you move forward after coming off such a
0: historic year. What's stuck out for you so far this season? What who, who are the stars that we're seeing on this team? And they they don't have to be always the people who are you know. Scoring. Scoring. And, yeah, because sure. there are definitely stars all over the field. Who are the stars that you're seeing on this current Cougar squad?
2: I think some of the the leaders on the team are a lot of the players that kind of play centrally in the middle of the field. And it's, it, there are players that that were a huge part of the program last year. So Jamie Shepard is absolutely one of our leaders out there. She's a captain on the program as well. We've got Natalie Wells. She's our senior out there. She's a leader Um. Absolutely. And we've got Olivia Wade and Laveni Vaca. I think those are are kind of like our core, some of the core returning players that, you know, a lot of the younger players or even, you know, just the starters or whoever's out there look to them as kind of a guide of like, hey, what do we do next? Like if we're struggling, these are the girls that we're going to look to to kind of figure it out out there.
0: You've played, you've broadcast games. What is Coach Jennifer Rockwood's philosophy? I mean, she's been with the team since the 90s. I was actually in school <laughs> when she was the soccer coach. I mean, what is her philosophy? And and has it changed with each team that you've noticed since you've been with the BYU soccer program?
2: I, I think a lot of her philosophy is consistent throughout the teams, regardless of who's out there. But um, a lot of... Um, what the BYU soccer program is built on is consistent year after year with with Coach Rockwood. Um, a lot of the tactics kind of are the same. I mean, there's there's a little bit of give and take depending on what your personnel is and the players out there, but a lot of the key principles with how BYU soccer operates are, are definitely consistent throughout the years, even from back when I played. Um, and there there's a little bit of, of differences too with the new coaching staff with Brent and with Steve compared to... You know, the coaching staff when I played, but a lot of it, I feel like remains consistent um, with the day to day and with, you know, your why for why you're out there and, and the reasons for being out there as well.
0: It, is it a team that likes to attack a lot? Is, is it that type of a team or is it or in that type of a philosophy because it it seems like this team can score. I know mm-hmm. they play def- They play good defense, too, but it seems like this team can score. Is, is that the mentality is we need to attack, attack, attack?
2: Yeah, a lot of times on the whiteboard before um, our games, we have the words score first, score early, and score again out there. And that's kind of one of the philosophies that that we kind of started with last year. That was just like a consistent tactic every single game. That's kind of what's drilled into your mind is score first, score early, score again. And a lot of the ways that BYU presses out there is, is defensive minded, but it's also offensive minded as well. So, you know, a lot of the press creates opportunities for the the attack type of thing. And so a lot of the um, tactics are, you know, getting in line, getting your crosses in, trying to get... You know the goals in as early as possible for the program.
0: Okay, now you're speaking my language. I'm a I'm a basketball guy, <laughs> yeah. so I love basketball. So I hear press and it's turning defense into offense or easy yeah. easy goals there. So I I think I, I I think I'm almost there with you, Rachel. I I think I'm, I maybe I get, I'm getting there. But I, I do want to talk to you about that. I you know I I'm used to. Football, basketball, designed plays exactly, you know, how mm-hmm. you're going to run. There There may be some freedom out there, but a lot of it is a it is design play. So for me, the uneducated out here when it comes to soccer, uh, what kind of design plays are there for soccer? And I, I, I'm not really talking about like corner kicks or things like that. I'm talking Thanks. about yeah. in the flow of the game, how many design plays does this BYU soccer team have?
2: Um, I I've, it's it's so different than like a football or a basketball because you don't necessarily have design plays you have your responsibilities and your role as a forward or withdrawn or you know whatever your position may be and you kind of have a set list of like these are the things that I need to be doing like if I am a holding center mid kind of like what I was my job and my responsibility out there is to distribute the ball and to win my 50 50 balls and to help promote the offense out there, you know, is to be like kind of the connecting person between the defense and the offense. So it's less of like, this is the play that I'm going to run and more of like, this is my responsibility. If I'm not fulfilling this responsibility, I'm not helping my team out there. So I kind of know within my position that this is my job to do this. Or like, if I'm in the position, and I notice that we're getting kind of like, clogged to one side of the field, I would know that it was my time to kind of switch the ball and to help us get into the attack on the opposite end. And I think it's kind of the, the same lines with forwards and with, you know, withdrawals and those players. It's, you know, if I haven't gotten my shot off in the box, then I know that my job is to get into the box, get into the assist zone, you know, get my shots off, get, get my shots on frame two, if that kind of makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, it does. It does. So there are plenty of matches that BYU can still look forward to. I mean, I, I automatically think a match that you would look forward to that I would want to see, of course, is the rivalry match against the University of Utah, so you got that coming up. You always have Santa Clara, you have Gonzaga. Wh- what are some of the matches that you look forward to the most or that you're looking forward to coming up?
2: I mean, the the matches against Utah are always matches that you are super engaged for and and, and just looking forward to, especially at home. I think we have Utah at home this year. Um Utah is definitely one that you always get excited for, especially playing at home on Southfield. Um, that's an easy one to get to get hyped up for, but we don't honestly, I don't think we have too many matches coming up before we get into our our um, WCC conference play. But for conference play, you know, you always have the Santa Clara as kind of like a rematch of the, you know, semifinals last year. They're, they're always a team that is a challenge. Look forward to playing them for sure. Um, Portland is always kind of a, a match that I think is a, is a fun one. Um, trying to think what other ones. We've got Gonzaga at home. Gonzaga's doing incredible this year, so they're going to be a great a great matchup, as well as Pepperdine. Pepperdine's always a challenge as well. So there's definitely a lot to look forward to. And once you start conference play as well, I mean, each, each – each game is, you know, that that important, that much more important out there because you can't slip up once you start conference play. I mean, a lot of times it comes down to one or two points towards the end of the season.
0: Thanks to Rachel Jorgensen and Ryan Lee Nelson for giving us their unique insights. Make sure you download Behind the Mic on all your podcast platforms like Apple or Spotify or whatever and also leave us a rating or review. Behind the Mic is a production of BYU Radio.